Alan Kring Productions, in association with the Emergent Light Studio, presents the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium, Academic Lectures in Business and Economics. This is Business Finance, FIL 240 for Spring Semester 2023. Today, financial institutions. We are beginning to get into the hustle and flow of the normal course. I have a few things to show you before we get started. And I do remind you that I plan to have a surprise quiz on Wednesday. So please be surprised by it. It will cover some content that I've given you last time and today. And it will also review the syllabus, important key features. Make sure you know what's on that syllabus if you want to get a good grade on it. Now, I, uh, you got a message. I sent it out, and I will show you. Your first podcast is now available for you at isu-prof.com. As you can see, I've got the new uh, semester up. If you're in this section, that's 01, just click here, and it'll play right in your own player if you want. And then, no, you don't need to see it. Oh, God. It's, it's getting bad. I mean, I mean, I'm getting so bad off that I have to hang a pork chop around my neck so the cats will like me. Okay. Now, here is the um, iPod, uh, uh, Apple iTunes version, and it picks it up within a... This time it was like blinding. I, ha I uploaded them and it was like maybe 30 seconds Apple had gotten them. So here are the lectures on uh, iTunes as well. So they're at both my own private website and they're also at Apple iTunes. They are not in ReggieNet anywhere simply because if I put something onto a university server, the university is going to say it belongs to them and suddenly my copyrighted material is not in my hands. And I'm a business person, and I'm not a stupid business person. I'm not going to hand out uh, work product for free. Now, uh, that's, that's important for you to have those podcasts. You can listen to those anytime, day or night, and you can even listen to them on your mobile phone. You can listen to them while you're eating, while you're sleeping, while you're going to the toilet. You can do, listen to them anywhere you want, and they are available to you. And I strongly recommend that you sit them down with your notes because you'll be appalled at how much content you miss in these lectures. As I had told you on Wednesday of last week, I'm pouring content at you. And today will be one of those days where we will be doing a lot of different things. The first thing we're going to do... I'm going to start a process that will happen at the beginning of every class where we look at the numbers. And I'm going to teach you terminology, how to look at financial information or investment information so that you can become your own best advisor as far as uh, investments go. And I, I really don't like to do it this way, but Yahoo Finance, I'll I'll just use Yahoo Finance. I caution you, though, that if you are actually going to do 
looking at stocks for the purpose of investments, you would not want to use a uh, public service like Yeehaw Finance simply because, I mean, how reliable can something be, be when it's called Yahoo? And another thing is that their quotes are delayed and they are sometimes scrambled. Is there some reason why this sucks? It's just sitting here staring at me stupid. Oh, there's something a trader's going to get really excited about. Yeah, I need this number within the next two seconds, and there you are, and it's not working. Now, one thing that I will caution you, even though I am quite a bit correct and right in what I do, and I did own a penny stock house, I, and I have many, many of my former students who are now out there as traders, don't take my investment advice for God's sake. If I were that good, I would not be teaching you. Well, I would anyway, because I love you. What? Okay, that's a lie. Let's try this again. Boy, this is like skiing behind a rowboat. Um, do I need a hand crank on the internet? Oh, there we go. Right off the bat, the... Um, and I do apologize in advance for some of these ads that they put on here. They're inappropriate, but okay. Now, first things first, the difference between an exchange and an index. An index is just a theoretical portfolio, a punch of stocks that's supposed to measure or give a representation of stuff. So I could take the weight of you three, and that would be the average would be an index. It would represent the class, but it wouldn't be the class. Now, an exchange is an actual platform on which many, many stocks are traded. The New York Stock Exchange, the NYSE, is a classic example. You know, those, you might have probably seen the floor of it where they're yelling and screaming at each other and throwing papers around. That's an exchange. Amex is an exchange. The NASDAQ is an exchange. Uh, the National Association of Securities Dealers is an exchange. It's an electronic. It doesn't even have a physical place. The NASDAQ has been around for, oh, decades and decades. I was using the NASDAQ specialized terminals back when I ran my brokerage house. Uh, but anyway, so you see that S&P 500? If you see a number after it, that's an index. That's 500, and in this case, it's 500 big companies of the earth. You will probably actually work for one of the 500 or some company that is highly dependent upon those 500. The S&P 500 represents about two-thirds of the equity value of the entire world. So when that thing is moving up and down, that is a good measure of what the world economy is doing. And that's how big this thing is. And, so, and then the Dow 30. See the 30? That's an index, too. We used to call it the Dow Industrial 30, the Dow Jones Industrial 30. It's, <clears throat> but it's not industrial anymore. It's 30 of the largest companies on Earth. It used to be almost all industrials, you know, the big manufacturing companies of the world. Anymore, it's got mostly, I, I've got to be a little careful about this, mostly 
service companies, entertainment companies. I think the original founders of the Dow 30 would roll over in their graves if they knew that Disney, a mouse company, is on the Dow these days. But so you would look at the Dow 30 as what the, where it's moving, what it's doing on a given day. That would be like the, uh, the largest part of the world, what it's doing for the day. Now, the NASDAQ is, in, is actually an exchange. It's almost all small companies. We call them small caps. You'll see that, why that word caps. I'll explain that at another time. But small caps, those are the risky, scrappy, lower layer. Most of those companies are, I don't know, 50 million, $100 million companies, maybe 20 million in a few cases. When I was running on my penny stock house, my, my stocks were NASDAQ stocks. This represents what the world's smaller companies are, how they're reacting to the day's news. Another thing, we don't really care about absolute numbers. What we, all we care about are percentages percentage changes. Think about it this way. If I put in a, do, a $10 investment and I make a dollar on it, that's a lot different than if that investment had cost me $100 and I made a dollar on it. Percentages are everything in our world. It, you can't really, well, the Dow fell 700 points. In it. Oh, whoop-de-doo. That's only a small percentage. Now, as far as percentages go, if you see more than an up or down of if it's 25.25% or less, that's meh, not much. You, it, it's almost trivial. It's only when those percentages get up above maybe 0.3%, 0.5% that you begin to, oh, well, something was really moving the markets today. So if I see a black swan, a black swan is a violently down day, that'd be 10%, 5, 10% down. That would be a swan. Now, as I, now, here's the next thing. Very important for you to know. If there is optimism in a stock or a market or in an index or whatever, we say that's bullish. If you are an optimistic investor, then you are a bullish investor. If you are a pessimistic investor, you are a bearish investor or the market is bearish for the day, or this is a bear market. Green, bull, red, bear. So, madam, is this, an up, is this a bull or a bear day? Look across there, do you see? Is this a bull or a bear day? Bull. Okay, you've got to say it, bull, okay? Bull. Oh, <laughs> bro, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, you, you want to be emphatic. I, you know, and if I look at this, oh, whoa, that is a real bull day. You see those percentages? Look at those percentages. Now, notice something interesting here. The largest companies on Earth were up 1.10%, but the 500 were up more than a percent and a half, and the smallest scrappies were up almost two and a third percent. So whatever news is moving the market, 
it has more, it looks like it's having more impact on the smaller companies. That's not surprising. You see those big 30? They are safe. They don't move a lot. They just, they don't really do much. And so I wouldn't be surprised. Even good news, yay. But when you get to 500, well, they're going to react more. They're a little riskier, so they're going to be more sensitive to news that's coming through the markets. And then, what, <coughs> and then when you get to the NASDAQ, well, those are the highly sensitive, high-risk companies. So whatever news is out there, they'll be the ones that act up the most about the news. And this pattern will be there on almost all days. You'll see this. The Dow will move the least. The S&P 500 will move more and then the NASDAQ will move the most. Not always, but usually. Now, I'm ignoring the Russell 2000. There are literally ten, tens of thousands of indexes. The Russell 2000, the Wiltshire 500, the PIMCO this and the Fidelity that. There are so many different. So, I mean, the Russell 2000 really can't tell us much because it's kind of a mishmash of stocks in those, in those kinds of indices. You want to stick with the ones that have a clear meaning if you are measuring the pulse of the market on any given day. And another thing, and I'll emphasize this over and over in this class, what is moving the markets today is the news today. What happened yesterday has already passed. It means nothing today. It has no bearing whatsoever. That already happened with the stock movements yesterday, whatever it was yesterday. As a matter of fact, it is literally almost minute to minute in most circumstances. Certainly, any information that's more than a few hours old, that's not going to move the markets. So if you look at those, well, crap, they used to have a little spark line beside each one, but they don't do, they're not doing that now. But if you look at these movements, oftentimes you'll see a jump and then it'll level off. Well, that was the news at the beginning of the day, pushing in, no more news, so the, it just floats. That's how markets work. They don't care about the past at all. So if you think you're going to get information by looking at stock charts, ups and downs, well, I've been watching this and there's a five-year trend here. No, don't do that. If there is a trend, it's on fundamentals, not on news of, of, from those times in the past. That information is being absorbed just as fast as the markets can do it. And literally, you can't get in front of that. God knows we all try, but I mean, those markets just move like lightning. As soon as there's news, boom. Those traders on Wall Street, in Tokyo, in uh, Berlin and Zurich and London, they've, they're on the news. They've, they have assessed it and they've got it out and they've bought or sold. And so the news has been essentially been burned up as fuel within a matter of minutes. Uh, so don't try it unless you're playing in really small stocks that where there is room for the big dogs not to be paying attention as well. Sometimes there, but God, with this new AI, these artificial intelligence systems, they're watching literally hundreds of millions of stocks every second. It's getting to be real hard to 
uh, to find an edge in a market in a world like this. Okay, these are financial markets. You're buying and selling, and th that there's no physicality to them. Another thing about it is this: the stocks in this, this is a secondary market. You're just buying and selling from other casino players. Primary markets where companies are selling their stock to raise capital, you'll never participate in those markets. You never will. You won't even see those markets. All we're doing is we're in uh, a casino playing against the house. And a little caution, and I'm going to teach you some of this along the way. There's an old saying in investments, the house always wins. We got it from the casinos. The house always wins. If you think you're going to beat the house, you're not. No, you're not. The house always wins. Whether you win or not, well, that's another matter entirely. Let me come over here. Now, the next thing you're going to see, <sighs> I can't get this. Let me revise this, see if this toggle is working. I probably should have. No, I don't want to see your stupid pop-up ads. Got that irritated. Okay, see this right here? That's crude oil. That's a physical market. Oil is a commodity. And you're seeing the movements of a global commodity market called oil. Now, if you'll look, right now, crude oil is at 8193 um, <coughs> uh, per barrel. That is, I mean, it was way up there. It was in the 120, 30, it, uh, it, you know, when the gas prices were so high. And that they were really high at that time because supply had been restricted because of the cutoffs caused by the Russian aggression against Ukraine. And those oil supplies coming out of that area of the world were just not there. And, and so oil prices went up, and they went up dramatically for a while. Then they eased back down. Last semester, I told the students, from my information I get, that there was a trading band of about 82 to 89. And sure enough, most of the semester was bouncing in there. And then it broke the neckline on the downside, and it came into the 70s. And that was why you saw those low gas prices. Uh, they were easing back, laying off, and that everyone was overjoyed. Now, interestingly enough, have you noticed gas prices have gone up in the last few weeks? Uh, yeah. What realistically, 81.93, with all other things being equal, that would probably be a little bit lower on gas prices. What's propelling the market from what we can tell is, remember, gas oil being pulled out of the ground. Full disclosure, I worked as a, uh, with a group of oil catters out of uh, East Texas for some years, and we, you, learn the, you learn about what this business is. First of all, there are different grades of crude oil. What you're seeing is a quote on what is called Brent Light Sweet. It's a very smooth oil that comes out of the ground from the Middle East and a few other places. Now, the stuff that we were pulling out of the ground in Texas was this, literally this sludge that stunk like hell. It was hot, and it was, it, it was just a sour crude. And 
<coughs> of course, obviously, that's worth less. However, when oil is refined, you might have seen, a, seen a, when you go up towards Chicago, you'll see that there is a uh, facility there along the side of the road on I-55. Those towers are cracking towers. They are essentially lifting up the crude oil through a heating process and different types of products, hydrocarbon products, are being pulled off. Gasoline is just one. There is a whole world of what are called distillates. Diesel, kerosene, jet fuels, those are distillates. And so when those markets have demand, then that those cracking towers are aiming toward pulling those off so there's not as much gasoline. That seems to be what's going on now. There's some pretty strong demand in the jet fuel market right now. Diesel, the economy's waking up, basically, and so you've got the diesel trucks on the roads, you've got the airplanes flying people every which way, and all of that. So the, the demand for alternatives in the supply chain is probably what's nudging gas prices up right now. I'm not doing this for my health. I'm doing this to teach you how to think for yourselves so that you don't get sucked in to all the conspiracy theories. Well, the gas prices went up to destroy us and make this a one world government. Oh, come on. It's just supply and demand dynamics. It's actually fairly straightforward if you know what supply and demand are <coughs> and you understand the details of the market. Okay, crude. Now see gold and silver, those are commodities, those are metals. Uh, commo they're commodities, they're physical things. And I, a chapter two in the book goes through the physical versus the financial. These are physicals. Now, gold has a mind of its own because there are what we call gold bugs out there. These people who buy and sell gold, when they, they buy gold when they think that we're, uh, times are getting bad, they start hoarding gold, they buy it and that push the price up. And then when times get better, then the gold bugs back off and sell some of their bullion and all that. So the gold market is kind of an oddball because it's pulled by this demand from crazy ass mofos. Uh, but silver is more of a normal metal. Silver is used in industrial processes as well as cosmetic uh, jewelry. And so it's pulled more by normal conditions. So notice that both of them had a, they've been actually pretty darn volatile. Right now, gold is pretty much flat for the day. Silver took a toilet break there uh, a few hours ago, and now it's trying to recover. Do you see that in those spark lines? Uh, the kind of that recovery that it's trying to go through right now. It had, not sure what that would have been about. Something spooked the silver traders, and I don't know what that, I'm not, you have to be a specialist, and at least you can't know everything, and I don't think I know many people in the silver and gold market right now, traders at least. Now, we will talk later about those ones that are coming up here, the exchange rates. Those are a world of their own, and they measure a lot about what's going on in the world. If you're really interested in that, one of my specializations is international finance, and I'm teaching a course right now in that, so I'm sure you'll want to take that the next time I offer it, or not. <laughs> Let me get over here. Okay, bonds. Here's... You're going to learn this. Uh, I will 
make sure you learn this in this semester. You'll see it. It's a mathematical relationship. This is measuring bond yields, how the interest rate on bonds. The price and the yield are exactly inversely related. If the price, if the price goes up, the yield goes down. If the yield goes down, the price goes up. Let me say that again. If the price goes up, the yield goes down. If the yield price goes down, the yield goes up. So you've got to be careful when you look at this one. You see how bond yields are up one and a quarter basis points. To, uh, I'm sorry, that's, whoa, those are, that's 1.26, that's 126 basis points. A basis point is one one-hundredth of a percent. So in other words, interest rates in, a, in, in general have popped today. That would mean that the prices have gone down. Well, the prices would go down if investors are selling out. They're getting rid of their bonds. That would drive the price down. That would drive the yield up. So something has made bond dealers, bond traders, get out. And I know exactly what did it. It's back over here. Really, you know, do I? Look, the stocks are going up. Bonds are the alternative to stocks. Bonds are safe. So if, if, if traders are scared, they run to bonds. They buy them, the price goes up, yield goes down. But if they are confident, then they dump their bonds, driving their prices down, and they go over and buy stocks. That's what you see happened here today. The yields went up because the prices went down. The prices went down because the traders were dumping them. Why were they dumping them? Because they wanted to jump into the stock market. So that was what happened today. Is this is actually even more of a positive sentiment day than first. Well, you know, it's a bull market, so that's a positive sign. But if traders are dumping their bonds to get over and buy stocks, that's even better because that shows even more confidence in the markets. We're in a good time here. You may have heard, well, we're going into a recession. I said, no, we're not. We're recovering. The rest of the world's going into a recession. You know, we can be sad about that. <laughs> no, we will. We, we'll, in a way, who cares? Our economy is actually doing well. And the markets are saying, yes, news is positive. We're okay. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have problems coming up. Sure we do. But at the same time, if you look at the markets, the markets do not work on political opinions and on feelings and beliefs. They work on cold, hard facts because that's the best way for you to make money, is to work with the num what the numbers are saying instead of what crackpots on the internet are saying. That's how it works, usually, although sometimes the crackpots can have a little fun. Yeah, but you, as you can see, the bonds, there is a, the bond yields are going up, that means prices are going down. So prices are going down because traders are selling them. What are they doing with that money? They're buying stocks. 
Now, the word stocks, you'll hear me use a fancier term, equities. It makes you sound sophisticated if you say equities. So in other words, I, uh, you, sir, you just, you're going to go into a singles, uh, finance singles bar, okay? And someone says, well, what, what kind of investments do you do? If you say stocks, you'll go home alone. But if you say, well, I invest in equities, <laughs> You will not be alone when you leave. Appreciate you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Where the hell was I? Oh, okay, here. Now, to convince you, you've heard that story about, well, the world, oh, this is a global economy now. You have no idea. We need to know what's happening everywhere on this planet because the whole world is affecting us and we are, uh, we're not affecting the world as much as the world is affecting us. See this one, FTSC, look at the 100, that means it's an index. That's 100 large stocks on the London Exchange, the Financial Times Index. Uh, and as you can see, now, they closed at about, and then the sun came up on this side. So th we're seeing what happened hours ago. This all, they, this all happened. As a matter of fact, I think they're still trading. That's at the end of their trading day. You can see that there was a bullish run, and then the bears came in and said, eh, no, no, and smacked it down. But it didn't go down really hard. So it's finishing the day still bullish from where it started the day, okay? So that's, that's some good news right there. Is, uh, so then the sun came up over here. Now before the sun came up in London, the sun was high in the sky over in Tokyo. This happened while we were all at night here. Tokyo had kind of an interesting thing. Do you, it was a, that was a strong day, but it was a smooth. It just kept going up and up and up. Now that is 225 stocks, the Nikkei 225. That's 225 big stocks on the Tokyo exchange. So there was positive sentiment in Tokyo, in Asia. And then as the sun went down in Asia, it came up in London and there was still some positive sentiment. See that, but it kind of cooled off there. Well, the sun sets in London, and then it opens here on our side of the world, rise, and we are in a bullish market today here. And then it's just going to repeat, it's, repeat itself. When our uh, closing bell happens, ding, 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 then the world on this side of the planet will go quiet, and Tokyo will wake up again. In other words, we live in an ever-moving clock around the world. It's always something somewhere. So if you are the kind who doesn't sleep very much like me, there's always some place in the world where activity is happening. That's just how it is. Most traders that I know, they get a little bit annoyed when they find out that if they're not up by five o'clock looking at the markets before they open here, looking at what they're doing over in London and places like that in Europe, then they're behind the ball. And then when they're done and they're exhausted, they go someplace, get 
uh, some food, and then they go and then they sit down at their home computers and they're watching what's happening as Asia wakes up. Every place from China to uh, Tokyo and on through down into Australia. We really are in a global world. Now I'm going to show you a stock, just for a few minutes. Just one stock. And I fear asking you to tell me what stock to, to look at because someone's going to yell Tesla and, okay, what, what stock? Well, let me do this. Let's Netflix and chill. NFLX. If it's four letters, it trades on the NASDAQ. If it's three letters or fewer, it's probably on the NYSE. So NFLX, Tesla, TSLA. You're saying, now wait a minute, fat boy, didn't you say that they're small companies? Almost all of them are small, but some companies, they started small on the NASDAQ, uh, but they grew to enormous proportions, but they never moved over to the NYSE. They just didn't want the aggravation. Uh, but Netflix. Oh, hello kitty. Look at that. Netflix. Bull day or bear day on Netflix? Bull. Did someone say bull? <laughs> yeah, it's a bull day. I mean, that is a hell of a day. That's five, five and a third percent up for the day. I mean, that's just like, holy cow. That's, that's strong. Netflix has gotten some grief. There's a lot of concern about Netflix and Netflix. But let me get another one up here because I see there's something nasty going on there with Netflix that's scaring the hell out of me. So let me find something a little bit more normal. Pfizer, PFE. <laughs> well, that's, that's uninspiring. Yeah, bullish, but I mean, that's almost meaningless. 0.16%, yeah, it doesn't mean anything. Uh, so it's pretty much flat for the day. Now, a couple of things. Yesterday when the market closed, the price, the trade, the last trade happened at 45.11, okay? When it opened this morning, it was down a little bit at 45.04. Well, how does that happen? Because during the period, the evening, when there's no trading, still orders, sell and buy orders are coming in. So in this case, it looks like there was a slight imbalance towards sell orders, and that's why it plopped a little bit on the open today, because filling those more sell orders and buy orders brought the price down a little bit. Now, see this bid and ask? The bid is what you sell the stock at. The ask is what you buy it at. Again, the bid is what you would sell Pfizer at. The ask is what you would buy it at. You notice there's a bid-ask spread. Sometimes it's very tight. Sometimes it's very wide. Why would there be a bid-ask spread? That's how we make our money in the business. It's one of the ways. I mean, I buy it from you at a lower price and I sell it to the next sucker. That's just how it is. So you notice that if you buy Netflix, you're already down. 
because you bought it at 45.21 and you could sell it for 45.20. So you've got to, sometimes, I mean, this one's a pretty tight, I mean, this is a tight bid ask. Sometimes it can be pretty spectacular, that bid ask spread can. Let me take one, another one. 3M. Oh, that one's a nice roll upward. Two and a two and a third percent up so far today. You notice again, though. Interestingly, the market started out overnight. There was a little bit of sourness in the market. Do you see that? It opened this morning lower than it closed last night. So there were more sellers and buyers overnight. But something really got the markets juiced up early this morning because obviously everything's popping. Okay, notice that this bid-ask spread is a little bit wider. I can buy 3M at 123.77 per share. And I can sell it at 123.74 per share. So as soon as I buy it, I'm in the hole. And I've got to climb out of that. That's just how it works. Now, this is a range over today. It's gone from a low of 120, 120.42. Will you get these pop-up? So that would probably have been that dip right there at the open. See it? The 120.42 and 123.89 would have been where, kind of hard to tell on these little charts, probably about there. So it's gone through a little bit of a swing today, but it's obviously on the upside of the swing. Over the past 52 weeks, if I were to look at over the past uh, one year, it's gone from 107.07. That would have been that trough right there. Those are volume bars. Something spooked the hell out of the market a few months ago. Do you see that? Selling was hard, dropped the price. And then its peak, it's not even near its peak. Its peak was back here. Looks like late July, it was up to as much as 175.25. Now you can ask a question, okay, are we closer to our low or to our high? One year low or one year high? What do you say? I'd say we're sort of in the middle. Uh, yeah, you're, we're more on the low end. And so some traders would say, well, that's good news. This might be a buy because it's shown its ability to make it up to 173, and it's only at 123.49, 175, I should say. So there might be some upside potential there because it's shown that it can do that before. Most days, uh, yeah, uh, you, madam, most day, days, you drag your ass out of bed and uh, your productivity is about 25%. But every once in a while, I see the window of your apartment shatter and you're flying out Wonder Woman. Whoa! I saw it only once, but whoa, when she's energized, she can freaking do, wow, boy, someone's going to pay for that glass. Okay? You see what I mean, though? You, uh, that's where we see the potential of a security for a movement. And so that gives us some reason to believe that this might be a decent investment. Okay, now down here, volume. This today, well, we're not clear through the day yet. The average volume is how many shares of the stock 
traded on average per day over the past year. Over the past year, about 2.9 million shares traded per day. Notice that this is actually fairly light volume. We're not through the day yet, but so far it's traded only 1.6 million shares. So light, the volume is kind of light today. Now I'll tell you a little more about volume here in another lecture. This is technically what we call on balance volume, OBV. It's the volume that is trading in the open markets. This does not measure the volume that trades in the dark markets. And the dark markets are becoming very significant now. So I can't really say as much as I used to about these numbers because they don't tell me what's happening in the markets that aren't reporting. And no, we're not talking about illegal. We're talking about markets that simply don't have to report trading volumes. See this number right here? This number right here, the market cap, is the price per share times the number of shares of the stock outstanding. The market cap is the price per share times the number of shares outstanding. In this case, that is $68 billion. Let me show you something. Let's look at Microsoft, MSFT. Its market share is $1.8 trillion. Let's look at Apple. Its market cap is $2.2 trillion. Let's look at Google. Alpha, alphabet, I should say. Its market cap is $1.3 trillion. In just those companies alone, I have shown you about $5 trillion in just three companies. Now, has anyone ever told you that you are worth so very much? Well, they lied. Take all of us in the world together. Our value is not, it's just a fraction of what is in the 10 largest companies on earth. We are actually nothing. Well, my mom said, well, your mom, you know, whatever. Look, that's just the reality of it. We are simply bacteria, we're players. We can't change anything about this world. No matter how many times you've seen those sappy-ass logos and, and memes on the internet, have you ever noticed the people who put up all the good advice are the ones whose lives are so effed up? Anyway, but seriously, get used to this. It's a, one of those things where we are just atoms in this insanity. But that's good news because we can make a lot of money eating off the floor where the dinosaurs aren't looking down. So just keep that in mind. Now, since I'm on Google, let me show you some, a few last things here. See this number right here, the beta? We're going to spend a lot of time with beta. Beta is a measure of the risk of a company. Beta is our preferred 
measure of the risk of a company? Here's the thing about beta. A beta of 1.00 is the risk of the world portfolio. If you took all the stocks in the world together, it would have a beta of one. That's how we design it. So that, that one is like a fulcrum. Companies that have betas below one are relatively safer. Companies with betas above one are relatively riskier. Now, there are other measures that we look at, like P-E ratio we can look at too. But the one that is the most important is the beta. And I'll tell you a lot more about beta. But do know this. This is not measuring all of the risk of a stock. Because if you are, if you are investing in single stocks, you're out of your mind. Beta measures the risk of this stock in a well-diversified portfolio. And in this case, Alphabet is a little bit aggressive. Going back to look at Apple, notice that Apple is actually a little more risky, a little riskier. It's actually a reasonably aggressive investment. Now, why would that be? Well, the there's a sentiment the market has had for some time. That there, and this is a sentiment for Netflix too, is that there's only so far they can go before they've run out of tricks. iPhones are nothing, every iPhone that's released is nothing but a minor variation on the previous design. Netflix has pretty much absorbed the world. There's not much more market penetration they can do from where they are now. On the other hand, what was the other one I was looking at? Come on. Oh well, let me do, now here was what was, here's why I ran away from Netflix. Something weird was going on with Netflix. Do you see its beta is not reporting? I don't know if I would want to walk into an investment where I didn't have one of the key numbers available to me. Here, let me give you an analogy. I don't know, I don't think I told you. Here at Illinois State University, I run a ghost hunting club. Yeah, I do. It's it's dormant now because it turned out, you know, you can't really Zoom hunt ghosts, okay? But now I want you to imagine this. Think about this. You and I are going into a building. Now, we have our flashlights on and we've got all of our EMF detectors and we've got our infrared. So we know what's going on when we walk in there. But what happens if as soon as we step in the door, everything blanks out and all we see is darkness in front of us? Can't find anything? You know what? I'm probably going to leave because I don't, you know, if there's a demon there, I would like to see the mother before I go in there. Okay? Yeah, I mean, seriously, you see, that's the thing is if you are blank on information, that's a place you don't go. I mean, there are other indicators, too. 
If you walk in and the house says, get out, well, I'll leave. You know, fine, I'll see you later, bye. Bam, you know. But yes, if you're interested, I've tried to bring the club back again. And there's very little chance of you getting possessed. But if you are, I'll, I'll get you out after. I've, I've got meetings, but, you know, I'll find some time. Oh. Okay, let me try a couple others. NVDA. NVIDIA. Why did that suck? Why did that do that when I wrote, typed NVD, NVDA, NVIDIA? Look at that beta. See that? Now, that doesn't mean you don't invest in it, but here's an important thing to think about. Appropriateness of investment. Are you really a risk taker? Because these high beta stocks, you could make a lot of money because they are highly volatile. But also, you could, investing in these, you could end up taking a, what we call technically an ass bath. You could get creamed. You could become so poor, you can, can't afford the OR, so you just po with an investment like this. That's dangerous territory. AMD, American Micro Devices. <laughs> Hello there. Almost twice the risk of the market portfolio. That is essentially a rodeo stock, as we used to call them. You're just going up and down and up and down with a stock like that. Okay? So now, uh, now let me take you to the other side. Let's take a stock like a um, Kellogg's. Look at that pussycat. Do you see that beta? See, that's just a thing. It's... it's Kellogg sells something that is always going to be bought. You're going to buy your daggone cornflakes and all that. So it's going to be a safe stock. Things like that are. And so, in other words, if you are a conservative investor, you won't make as much money, but you also are pretty assured that you're not going to lose your shirt in the process. You would be this kind of investor. In other words, we often talk about life cycle of investments. The old rule was when you're young, you go hard risky, high beta stocks, because you have time to recover if you do lose. And as you age, you back down from the high risk stocks into the lower risk, because by the time you retire, you don't want to put your life, the rest of your life's income stream at high risk. Interestingly enough, though, we have found that over the past, especially the past 25 years, investors your age and somewhat older are actually quite risk averse. You might think that you're risk takers, but you are not. And we understand part of what this is. It's uh, marketers are doing it all the time now. Yeah, you're a wild and crazy person. Buy this because you want to be at the edge. But we know that you're looking around to make sure everyone else is with you on buying it. That's the herd mentality. There's a fear of ostracism that is dominating younger people these days. So even though 30 years ago when I was teaching a class like this, first of all, we wouldn't have had these stupid boards. I would have printed out these big sheets and posted them up in front of the class. But aside from that, 
I would have talked about, yeah, you will probably be looking at these betas, high beta stocks for the next five years or so. But now I wouldn't say that at all. Now let's have a laugh fest with Tesla. For a couple of semesters, I was having fun criticizing he of the cloven hoof, Elon Musk, warning that Tesla was mostly just a, an outward appearance, that it was actually a very shaky company on the inside, and I showed them how we analyzed to find that. And sure enough, it has been finally finding intrinsic value. The market from day to day is going to put a value on stocks and bonds, commodities. We call that the market value. That is not the underlying intrinsic value. That reveals itself only over a long period of time. That's what I teach you to find, is that longer term value. Ultimately, stocks will find their intrinsic value. But that doesn't mean on any given day or any given month or even any given year, they will be near their intrinsic value. They'll be overvalued, undervalued. So that's why we need to look at the longer haul so that we're not pulled too hard by the features of the day. Tesla was, to give you an idea, as you can see, the plunge has been dramatic on Tesla. That's the intrinsic value beginning to come through. The company is poorly managed. It's mostly smoke and mirrors. Its top executives are cowards who crawl to a narcissist, and we know that. But in the short run, it was a great investment. Hell, I made some money on uh, exotic uh, bets on Tesla, and then I made money when Tesla started to collapse. Go. Okay, okay, the market price is what you're going to see. Matter of fact, let me, t let me use you as my example, sir. You are my son. I know, I know, but my God, you've been a disappointment. I mean, that arrest last year, I thought that your girlfriend's name was Molly. No. That was what you were selling. <laughs> and I mean, then there was that whole weird thing that happened to your face and, you know, with the acne. And I mean, and then you got involved with that biker gang. Uh, and I mean, I was, but you see, underneath, I knew that there was something there. That was the intrinsic value that was going to come through long down the road. That's why in a class like this, I will call you losers, assholes, lazy, and all of that. No, I won't. That's why my drill sergeant generally referred to us as a bunch of slithering, slimy maggots. And that was when he was complimenting us. But we also, he knew, and I know, that you will come out warriors. You will come out ready to take on this awful world and maybe even kick its ass. And I'll do everything I can along the way to knock you off your confidence. But at the same time, somewhere in there, I believe in you. Even though, and I repeat this, so far you've been a damn disappointment to me. That's why I got a life insurance policy on you for $50. <laughs> 
But now, and that's, the that's that market value, the day-to-day -day coming through. And then the long-term, that intrinsic value is what's going to happen over a long period of time as more of your strengths come through and your weaknesses are taken away or as more of your weaknesses come through and your strengths of youth are taken away. But on balance, intrinsic values do go up over time. But in the short run, you're going to have stocks that go way up in price. And we sit back and, yeah, we'll play that short-term game. But we also know that I'm not putting that in a portfolio that I'm going to use for my retirement or for my kids' education. That help a little bit on it. You're not as much of a disappointment as I thought you were. <laughs> See, that's your intrinsic value coming through. <laughs> Outstanding, though. I, that, that's the whole point. And so when I talk about, I'm going to teach you how to trade short term. I'll show you some of the ways that we do it and how you can make, some, make a few bucks on it or lose a few bucks. But over a longer haul, we have to, pre, we have to pay attention to what the value of our portfolio is for us to achieve our goals, you know, the, the vacation home, the nice cars every few years, the college education for the kids and all that. We have to look at that long term because that's where we're going to spend the rest of our lives is in that long term. The short term can be a very different animal. And if you go into a market trading, I mean, they're like, it's like, a wild jungle. You're being eaten alive minute to minute by this trader or that block of traders or this institutional investor just gobbling and grabbing whatever news is there, buy or sell on that news. But somehow that creates a long haul, a longer term situation. And so that's what we have to look at in the, for the long term. Tesla it had, let me do five years. Do you see that giant peak there? And do you see this intrinsic value? What we're probably seeing from the numbers that I've calculated, we're getting around the intrinsic value right now. Now it'll obviously just whip away from that up and down after this. But for a little while, we're seeing that intrinsic value coming through for just a while. Not for long, though. Lord knows Musk is going to do something to screw it up. But anyway, so this is the markets as we, uh, just as your first introduction to the markets. And I plan on Wednesday, actually, to have a uh, bullish investor come in and speak to you briefly about markets so that you get a better perspective on it. But I talked about those financial markets. Now, there, there's some reason why I can't have a marker that actually works. Uh, there's got to be one in here that works. Whoa! I got a Kit Kat bar. <laughs> and an extra bottle of Smirnoff? Sweet. <laughs> 
Uh, no. Let's try this one. No. I pull out four markers and they all... Oh, for God's sake. I'll just stick with this one. I'll write big. Okay, markets. I, taught, I told you about... Now, as I was doing that lecture, I was sneaking in a bunch of terminology on you. I talked about physical versus financial. So in other words, if you are an oil trader, you are in the physical market. If you buy bread, you're buying in the physical market. Okay? Financial... You buy a stock, that's a financial instrument. That's a completely different animal. One of the interesting things about financial markets is, in a very real sense, there is no intrinsic value. See, if you buy a loaf of bread, the bread can feed you. You buy the stock, there's nothing there. I mean, you can't eat it. Well, you could if you're weird, but I mean, why? Fiber, I guess. Okay, now there's another one I brought up. Primary versus secondary. Now, this is the one I was telling you about. You see, when a company sells stock in an in IPO, initial public offering, or in a seasoned offering, it gets the money. But that's not the case if you buy and sell stocks from other people. The company has nothing to do with that. You're just buying from or selling, buying from or selling to someone else. There's a famous old saying uh, uh, called the greater fool theory. You're a fool for buying a stock, but what's your job is to find a fool that's greater than you that will buy it at a higher price. Okay? So remember, look around you and find a greater fool and you'll always make money. Okay? The secondary market is the one you'll trade in. This market right here, this primary market, when a company says Facebook, uh, more than a few years ago, it went public, public market. So in other words, the public can own a piece of the company through the stock. Well, when it went public, it issued all these shares at this price per share. And you heard, well, this is a good place to jump in on this IPO. You're not going to be in the IPO. That's done by investment banks in what are called syndicates. In other words, this group of these very specialized kinds of banks say, we are going to buy your stock, Facebook, all these agreements and all this, and then we'll sell it to the public. So you are not part of the primary. What they're going to do is they're going to buy that Facebook stock. They're going to allocate it to their great investors like you. And then we'll pump that stock up. Facebook on Financial News Network, Facebook on CBS, Facebook going public. We'll pound that stock up and then we'll dump it onto the idiots like the rest of us. And you'll make a fortune because you're one of our friends. You see, that's how it works. It's called a pump and dump. That's how they work. If you're buying in an IPO, you are, if you are buying right after an IPO, one, you're not buying the IPO, and two, you are stupid and you deserve to lose your lunch money. Because, you see, when a company sells its stock, 
Do you think it's going to sell its stock when it thinks that it's at its highest value or when it's at its lowest value? It's going to sell the stock when it's at its highest value because that's when it will pull in the most money per share. If it, well, no, we should sell our stock when we think it's at its lowest price. Well, no, you're not because that would mean that you're not going to get as much per share as if you sold it at a higher price. So companies generally tend to sell their public do public offerings when their stock is peaking, when they, their analysts have found that it's near its peak. That's when you'll get the most money. And then it will teeter and flop back down afterwards. Okay? Okay, now here's one. Now the book uses a term that I'm a little bit uncomfortable with. They say spot versus futures. The more technically correct term, and I understand they're not futures traders and forward traders, is spot versus forward. Spot is a price right now. You, buy, you go to the gas station, you're buying at spot. It's whatever the prevailing price is. You buy that uh, loaf of bread, you're buying at spot. Now, forward or futures, futures are actually a very specialized kind of forward. That's when you are buying at a price that was agreed upon sometime before that. So in other words, if Kellogg's wants, let's say, 60,000 bushels of corn, it could just say, all right, what's the price of corn? And buy, let's say, three. 350 per bushel. It could buy at spot. Or it could make arrangements for, let's say, six months before now, it had made the arrangements to buy 60,000 bushels at 335 per bushel. That would be a forward price. Because then, when it comes in now, they're not paying spot, they're paying what they agreed upon before that. Many, many contracts, mo much of business contracts are done on forward contracts. You see, because that way it's taking, for both, the, both parties to the agreement, it's taking away risk. Everyone knows, the seller knows what he's going to get in six months, the buyer knows what he's going to pay in six months. Now the spot might be above or below the agreed upon price, but at the same time, both sides of the agreement have more certainty than they otherwise would. So, and interestingly enough, you will participate in, in forward markets for the rest of your life. When you, son, get a job, and I want you to get a job, okay? When you get a job, you're gonna, get a for, you're gonna agree to a forward contract. I shall get this amount of money for, until my next review. Regardless of what the prevailing wage is, the wage could, wages could go up, wages could go down, but you have agreed to a forward contract to get a specific price at every point along the way. So that's a forward contract. That's not a spot contract at all. And in fact, there are a lot of other places where you can get involved in, spot con in forward contracts. So spot versus forward is one of those interesting ones that is out there all over the place. I got one more I can do here. Okay. Um, aha, capital versus money. 
These are two different animals. Money is short-term funds. Capital is long-term funds. Madam, I should like $20 and I'll pay you back in two weeks. I am accessing the money market for that. But I should like to have $5,000 and I'll pay you back in a couple of years. I'm accessing a capital market. They are very different. Those who want and have money for short term are a very different breed of investors than those who have and want money in the long term. So generally, we say if the funds are for a year or less, we call it money. Those funds are money. If the funds are for more than a year, we call it capital. Give you an example of this. A market that hardly anyone outside of finance knows is called the commercial paper market. Very, very large credit-worthy corporations will borrow tens, maybe even hundreds, but tens of millions of dollars, and they'll pay it back in 30 days. It's a huge market. So in other words, there are companies that have a pile of money, but they won't have it for very long before they need to use it. So they are the suppliers to this commercial paper market, and then the demanders are companies like Apple, Microsoft, 3M, Pfizer, that need a short-term punch of money. And it is money. And so they make an agreement for, a, for the loan. And that is a money market. But on the other hand, if a company needs to borrow money for 30 years, then it would go to a very different kind of investor, the investors who want to get rid of their funds and they don't want to see it back for 30 years or 20 years or 10 years. Those are a very different kind of animal out there. And, they're very, and both of them are highly liquid markets. But I'll get back into this more on Wednesday. That's all I have for you today. I thank you. <laughs>